I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. This is What's Next. Thomas O'Neill White and Jay Moran with you today. And we are here to talk about a landscape maintenance technician training program with Gina Burkhart, who is the president and CEO of Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, otherwise known as BCAT, Jeff Lebsack, director of the Riverline, Patrick McIntyre uh, of Buffalo Olmsted Parks Conservancy. He is uh, the golf superintendent at Cass Park, uh, Delaware Park, South Park courses, golf courses. All right. Um, Gina, or thank you both, or all of you, for being with us today. Uh, Gina, let's talk about the origins of this program. Uh, how did the Landscape Maintenance Technician Program get off the ground? Uh, who are the parties involved? Yeah, so, I mean, I always say when you look at Buffalo, it's an amazing community of parks, right? How lucky we are to have this whole city. And keeping upkeep, right, the taking care of the parks is a big job. And in talking with the previous um, director of Olmstead Parks, it became clear that they were struggling to find people who were qualified or even interested in doing the seasonal kinds of work. So we talked about the fact that they needed trained employees, and BCAT does workforce training. So we developed the program under the National um, Association of Landscape Professionals. We got funding from the First Niagara Foundation, and we offered the class. It's interesting to hear about that, though. Is that part of, I guess, when it comes to BCAT, we can save this maybe for a longer conversation some other time, but the idea that it's, you know, we hear about all these open jobs around Western New York, and we don't have the right people to fill them, but is that uh, the biggest lift? It's trying to find, A, identify that need, and B, then, of course, apply uh, instruction to, to make it a possibility? That yeah, can, so the way we work is we work with employers in the community to actually identify where the gaps are. So what kind of employees do you need? What kind of training can be offered? And for BCAT, it's really looking at training that is kind of a quick turnaround, right? Because it's mostly for folks who are un or underemployed, right? And we want to get them into the workforce quickly. We want them to be work ready, so hit the ground running, and we want to provide economic security for their future. So that's how we design the program and then offer it. And how does, how does the program fit BCAT's larger mission? So our mission is all about workforce development and after school um, preparation for youth and adults. So our goal is really economic security for a community that is looking for new careers and new ways, new pathways forward. Uh, Patrick, I want to bring you in real quick because this is your path was a little unexpected. Sure. Um, also, uh, G uh, Gina, you talked about it being a quick turnaround, but it's also a heavy lift. Patrick, can you talk about that? 
Yeah, uh, maybe not the heavy lifting part. I mean, as far as the program running smoothly, I can't thank Gina enough for it. Um, I saw her every time I had class there, and she made sure everything was going properly. Um, I took the classes, I did the internship, and I had a job. And I think that's ultimately what Gina wants to accomplish with everyone that goes there. Um, and, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't have the position that I have right now without the BCAT program. And talk a little bit about, we'll talk a lot, actually, about about your path. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I started out, uh, I graduated college. Uh, my degree was in public relations, and I worked exclusively with nonprofits, mostly in North Carolina, but uh, some up here in uh, New York. And I wanted to maintain my idealism a little bit, is my joke. But um, I did that for a long time, uh, more than a decade. And uh, then I went into masonry work. And I did that for about five years, which I guess is kind of a long time. <laughs> and then uh, I'm getting older, which I'm the first person to admit. And masonry work is hard. So I was looking for something else. Um, and we all look for something very rewarding. And turf management, the program that we went through at BCAT, this program specifically, um, gets you in and turf management is rewarding. Um, you know, you're, you're cutting grass and I don't know what your overall attitude is at home for cutting grass. Um, <laughs> some people don't view it as rewarding, uh, but you cut a straight line, you make it green. Uh, that's our job at the parks. And we, we do that and you accomplish it and you accomplish it every single day. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about it though, that, that you're cutting grass, but it, there's a complexity here that is probably worth talking about a little bit more when it comes turf management right off the bat. I mean, I know what my lawn looks like and nobody's managing that. <laughs> <laughs> How complex does that get? Well, I'm not going to put the parks down because uh, there's no reason to. But golf courses is a pretty probably the highest level of turf management that you can get. Sure. So project management is a part of all of our jobs, and it's also a part of, like, running a golf course. Uh, person A has to go to location A with machine A and accomplish task A. That's running a golf course. There are an infinite amount of nuances in between everything that I just mentioned. To keep grass green is a nearly impossible task, and you t it takes a lot um, as far as, like, uh, the nuances that I'm talking about. Watering, overwatering, underwatering finding that happy middle, um, you know, uh, fertilizing. You know, we've got to use a little bit of fertilizer on these golf courses, not everywhere, but on the green specifically. How much fertilizer, when to fertilizer, diseases, all of this type of thing. And what about the Buffalo weather? How does that challenge you? Well, uh, we have opened and it has snowed. Uh, typically we open in April. Um, and just this last year for the first time ever, we actually had uh, three days in a row where it was 60 in February. And we opened the golf course and we had hundreds of people play. We only opened one of the golf courses in Casanova, but I mean, the turnout was uh, pretty impressive for a February day where it's, you know, 50, 60 degrees. So people are clamoring for it no matter what. The city parks and the city um, golf courses also like our main mission is to serve the city of Buffalo. So Jeff, I wanted to bring you in. Uh, um, what's what does uh Riverline have to do with this project? Sure. Well, Gina mentioned Buffalo being a city of parks, and the Riverline will be another park in the city. Um, it's it's a, a unique kind of park. You know, as a project of the Western New York Land Conservancy, we're going to have a lot of focus on uh, native plants, on trying to maintain some ecosystems for the uh, you know the local wildlife that's in the that we see in the city. Um, so. 
and, and the River Line is part of a, a national organization of similar type projects. So we're all learning from each other about how to design and build and maintain these new parks. And so one of the things we were curious about is where do we find the people to work in them and how do we train them? So there was a, uh, a small grant that was available to five different, uh, five different organizations and the River Line was one of the uh, projects selected. So we had to find a partner that did workforce development and we happened to come across Gina and the work she does at BCAT. So we've been funding the program for the last two years and, and this will be our third year of funding the, uh, the landscape maintenance program. So we're, you know, the River Line's not built yet but we're learning a lot about workforce and, um, you know, Patrick mentioned that these courses are for the city and the river line is, is for the city. You know, we have a really, a really big focus on trying to make sure that we're working, uh, you know, with our neighborhoods and not just, not just coming in there and doing something to them. So this is all part of that holistic attempt to design and build and, and maintain a new f feature that we can all be proud of in the city of Buffalo. It, it, maybe just a, a just a quick overview of the river line you know Jeff I think it was two years ago maybe when you started yes. uh, with the conservancy when we talked on the phone about it and got a, a nice initiation into it but uh, if you could just give us a, a little bit of an overview of what to expect from the river line once it's all said and done well just quickly the river line is the former DL and W rail corridor from the uh, you know canal side down to the Buffalo River it's a mile and a half long it's 40 acres so it's a you know significant area um, over the last two years, we've obtained funding to do all the required studies that have to be done to, you know, environmental studies. We're in the process of getting funding to start construction, hopefully in 2025. So we'll be doing design work this year for that initial construction. The, uh, the river line is part of something called the High Line Network. So anybody who's ever been in New York City, hopefully you've seen the High Line and that that was sort of the impetus for a, a series of these infrastructure reuse projects all across the U.S. So right now our network has 47 similar type projects in the Highline network. Actually, there's, it's at North America. There's one in Mexico and two in Canada. And uh, they're, all, they're all different types of infrastructure reuse projects. You know, some are canal paths, some are railroad paths, some are underneath uh, metro rails, some are on city streets, some are, are big wetlands that are being used to uh, you know, mitigate floods. So they're all, they're all very different, but they're also very similar because these infrastructure places were often, you know, they were put where people could f couldn't fight back, right? When we were building mm -hmm. highways and railroads and all these things, we put them in the neighborhoods where people were sort of powerless. So now we're trying to reuse that infrastructure and rebuild those communities, give them, you know, provide, provide something to create health and wellness and, and uh, you know, opportunities. So it engaged, you know, create economic opportunities. So uh, we're all learning from each other from those type of things. So that's, that's where the river line is, is part of that effort. I'm interested from a Patrick's perspective. You hear about the river line. I know this is kind of an off the wall question, but 
Now, this is now your field of expertise, you know, taking care of and understanding. How, when do you contemplate their project? It's, it's going to be a whole different project. Do you have any, anything like, are you already breaking it down into projects? Like, oh, I'd have to do this, this, and this? Or, or I'm just kind of curious how your, your viewpoint from someone who's kind of gotten into this somewhat fresh in the last couple of years, how you'd look at it. Well, my jaded point of view is you can grow grass anywhere. Um, uh, but uh, specifically speaking to the Riverline project, I mean, th- I think it's more or less you have to look at it as an opportunity. Um, and I, I'm a big walker. I do the Outer Harbor almost every single day. I live downtown. This is the type of thing that my, I personally am going to enjoy. And as far as like grass and maintenance and things like that, it's difficult. You're going to be working with several different environments, I would assume. Nope. And, uh, you know, that I joke that you can grow grass anywhere. It's not easy. You well, can. But, but here, here's what I'll throw back at you, Patrick, is when I was listening to you and, and how you have this, these nuances of, of maintaining a golf course, mm-hmm. very, I, I, you know, manicured is probably, you know, not the best word. But <laughs> well, on the good days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, the river line, again, being part of a, a land conservation organization, you know, our emphasis is going to be on sustainable type of uh, landscapes, so native grass, native plants. Mm-hmm. So lawnmowers are going to be uh, minimized, but we, you know, we want to make sure that we have a healthy uh, natural system. So how, how do you, when you took, like when you did the class, did you study those types of things? And is, is, there, is there a conservation or sustainable side of your practice that, you know, we can learn from on the river line? Did we learn it in class? Yes, okay. 100%. Um, plants grow best in the best opportunities. If it's long, that's what we can control as human beings on this earth, right? You put the right tree in the right location, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow with minimal care. It's the same with grasses and the same with flowers. We're talking about water conservation, all of it, uh, you, pesticide use. You choose the right, you choose the right, uh, you know, this is agronomy, right? Like you choose the right uh, plants and things like that, like I just said, to go into the right spot. They, they don't ever become, uh, you know, set it and forget it kind of things, but you definitely do minimize the maintenance of this. Um, and going back to the Buffalo Olmstead Park Conservancy, that's our number one job. Um, something that uh, I, I did relatively new uh, when I started on these golf courses is I implemented or extended a natural area project that the uh, Olmstead Conservancy has. So now if you go out to Delaware Park consists uh, specifically, uh, there are huge natural areas that we no longer maintain on the golf course. Mm. Now you get flack because you're going to lose your ball there, <laughs> no, uh, and they are strategic. Yeah, they, they are strategically <laughs> placed. For, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are an excuse actually. Yeah, you can use them. Okay, so those are the meadows for pollinators and things like that. Absolutely. Now, and can the golfers go? Are they fenced off? Or? They are not fenced off. Okay. So I get people in there go looking for lost yeah, golf okay. balls yeah. periodically throughout the year, and nobody stops them. Um, but again, going back to the river line here, I mean, that's kind of what you're looking yeah, to do. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Talk to me about the change in climate, the, the changing climate. How does that impact what you do? Uh, I, I, I have to admit it, and this is going to go on the radio and people are listening. I do lose sleep over no snow and no frozen ground. Mm. So we look at the ground as being fertile, right? Historically in the Northeast and the New England, that's because we had four full seasons and the, everything got to rest. So our ground still isn't even like completely frozen right now. Mm-hmm. And I, as a, a golf superintendent, need the grass to rest. So 
You know, that's what winter is for. Now, the nuance there is um, there are diseases that form if there's too much snow. So last year, I had to go out there in January and February after the storm and make sure I had to remove some snow on our greens and things like that. So, you know, that that's all part of this. Yeah, you've you got to pay attention constantly and seeing the snow out here and seeing these cold temperatures, even though I think it's supposed to get warmer, um, <laughs> but then it's supposed to get cold again. I wake up. The first thing I do is uh, I'm thankful I woke up and then I look at the weather report. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want uh, to turn this now to Gina, because when Jeff's talking, what Jeff's talking about with the river line is not work right now. I mean, they don't have I mean, the river lines not open yet. They need but they're obviously investing in this for down the line. So now how do you then adapt your training programs to fit his needs? Because his might be a little different than what Patrick uh, has has uh, developed in his career. I mean, I, I think the exciting part about it is that it's not a job, it is a career, right? Okay. So we're really putting folks through a program that gives them an opportunity to begin work right away. And in Buffalo, we know there are over 60 or 70 landscape um, programs, companies okay. here. So the need is great. And we also know that right now, every single one of them is looking for seasonal employers, employees. So part of what we're doing is building the right now, right? They'll get a lot of opportunity. They'll get a lot of experience. And when Jeff is ready to hire them, <laughs> they'll be even better at their positions. I mean, it's a, it's a program that covers what you need to know around all of the um, landscape maintenance technician stuff. So it's not making it up or it's not guessing, right? It's really becoming precise at a career. And you can hear from Patrick and you'll hear from Ricky. They really did learn um, in the program all the specifics of being a technician. And there's plenty of work available in the community. Now, do you help with placement, placing someone in a, in a seasonal position? So the way we're running the program right now is it's 30 hours of in-class instruction, right? So it's online, it's live, synchronous learning, 30 hours. After that, everyone in the class will go for 30 hours in the field training. And we're hoping what will happen is those companies that accept our students into the internships will then recognize that they're ready for hire and will mm -hmm. offer them positions. So we work with the employers to build a pipeline from training right to the jobs. You know, we haven't really got into the, the meat of the BCAP program, how it makes itself available for potential candidates. I mean, there's opportunities here that we really haven't touched upon that yet in, in this conversation. Yeah, so there's 25 openings in the class. The registration um, closes on January 29th. You just need to come to BCAT or call BCAT. You have to have a high school diploma. That's the requirement. You take a small, pretty easy entrance exam. If you struggle with it, we have an on-site tutor. So you can take it again. Our goal is to not turn anyone away, right? That if you're interested in the program and really committed to it, we get you enrolled and we, we get you started. The classes are offered Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 5.30 to 8.30. So if you have a job, right, you can still do your job and do the training. And the great part is it's an earn and learn model. So while you're in the program, you can actually earn $1,500 to go through the um, instructional piece and then the on-site training piece. Because what we know is it's hard to be in school, right, if you're not bringing in any income to your family. 
We're talking uh, right now with, uh, that's uh, Gina Burkhardt. She's the president and CEO of the uh, Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, BCAT, as we like to call it. Jeff Lebsack, the director of the Riverline, uh, part of the Western New York Land Conservancy. Also with us, Patrick McIntyre. He's now the golf superintendent for Old Side Parks Conservancy, and we're going to be talking with uh, Ricky Kearney Jr. a little bit later on, uh, the supervisor at uh, Delaware Park for Olmstead Parks Conservancy. Uh, this whole concept, uh, let's, let's start with Patrick with this. Just, you know, you, you got into this for a whole different reason. We were, we've already discussed that. When you kind of look at the how, how many different players are involved to make this a reality, what do, what do you think of them? How does that, you know, you know, that you entered in a program like this? Maybe, you know, you're a college-educated individual. You had a professional career elsewhere. But then you got into this program. It almost seems like it's got a certain, I don't want to use the word magic, but there's this element of, of things falling together that seems uh, unlikely. Well, you know, in my previous career, uh, getting people together was part of it. And mm-hmm. I'm amazed that we're all in this room together. It's difficult. Um, and I'm going to be honest, like seeing how seamless, seamless it was. And I took part of the first year of this program. <laughs> so uh, you got to give people slack in that case. But really, the education down to the timing, to the placement, all of it really fell into place pretty darn quickly. And again, I, you know, you talk about working miracles. I mean, that's that we're talking about four or five different organizations, 25 people getting them to the right spot on the right day. I mean, that might be a miracle. Um, and, <laughs> and they've pulled it off now for several years and going forward, hopefully indefinitely. And there's an amazing amount of camaraderie that happens in the class, right? Like they, the class forms a bond and they support each other. And if someone is struggling, another person steps in. So I think that the great part about the class is that there's friendships that are formed. I mean, Patrick and Ricky are now great friends, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they give each other the evil eye. <laughs> That's when we're not letting them on the air at the same time. <laughs> so they don't let people fail, right? The idea is this is a chance to um, start a new career. And the class and the instructors and the organization and the funders all work together to make sure that if you if this is what you want, we get you there. Is there room for expansion, expanding this program out? There's always room for expansion. Oh, she says <laughs> with a big smile. <laughs> what, what, what might that look like? So, I mean, all of our all of our programs are free to the public, right? Mm-hmm. So, BCAT runs 16 workforce development programs every year. And we have to raise the funds to be able to provide those programs. So expansion is really about support, right? So where in the community can we gain more support to bring more people into the program? And ultimately, we believe that employers might want to step up because if they're reaping the benefits of trained employees, right, then there may be some contributions they can make to the front end of the training because it saves them right, the expense of actually training their employees when they come on. Yeah. Right now, I mean, we've, we've heard a lot of talk about Buffalo Homestead Parks Conservancy, but we're also talking to the New York State Office of Parks. I mean, we have Niagara Falls State Park, so we're going to be, uh, you know, looking for students in the Niagara Falls area for this year's program. Uh, there's other places like Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus, which, you know, is a large area, lots of gardens and landscape to be maintained there. So those types of institutions and, and uh, agencies could be the future partners that help us expand into different types of workforce training. 
cemeteries. Hmm. <laughs> a big, a big potential client. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, um, and I'll, I'll maybe throw this out to, to more toward Jeff and Patrick on this one, but uh, this field. Um, What's the satisfaction of it? I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit with Patrick, but you know, from your perspective, Jeff, you know, you've got to have partners to help take care of this Riverline Park that's going to be here. You know, better. I mean, more than as than just a job. There's got to be something a little bit more that's going to keep people around. What What's in it, um, for lack of a better term? You know, you know. Um, uh, uh, intangible, uh, an intangible uh, part of it. Well, I, you know, you, I, I think you brought up the climate question earlier. Yeah. I, I think there is a general awareness now. People are starting to pay more attention to the value of nature, you know, as it's threatened. We're, we're all of a sudden saying, wait a second, I, I liked the birds. I liked, you know, having those trees. So there's, a, there's an awareness to, to keep those things, and, and we recognize their value in our state of mind. I mean, there's a lot of research about how nature can make us feel better and make us healthier. So, uh, you know, I, I've done projects in Niagara Falls State Park, for example, and, you know, that's a place that not only is natural, has the natural beauty, but it has the history, and it has the, it has the connections to people. When you're in Niagara Falls State Park, there's people from all over the world walking mm -hmm. around. So that's similar to what we're doing at the Riverline. What we like to say is we're connecting people to nature, water, and each other. And so that's, I think that's sort of almost like an innate human need to have a human connection and a nature connection. And, you know, water is nature, so same type thing. But um, that, that's my overarching view of this is it's important to our, of who we are as humans. Is there, a, when you hear that though, Patrick, I mean, and you, you've talked about how much you loved falling into this particular field, but you know, for somebody else, might, they might find it, what would you sell them on in terms of, yeah, this is, this, there is something beyond the paycheck that, that is involved here that's, that's worthwhile. Oh, I spoke previously about the instant gratification. You cut grass, you cut a straight line, you make the grass green, that's instant satisfaction. But both the Riverline and um, the public, uh, public golf courses and the public parks, were, it's basically a service industry. You can look at it like that. Because if the people didn't come and look at the park or walk the Riverline, what do we got going here? We've got nature, which is absolutely beautiful by itself. But um, Ricky and I serve the people of the city of Buffalo. I mean, when, that's, you, that's I'm sorry. when you think about... COVID, the parks were mm. a sanctuary and provided mm -hmm. a lot of mental health relief for a lot of people who were struggling with isolation. And probably they were busier than any other business in Buffalo. So just the reward of knowing that you're providing that, right, for a community that is at least a little bit stabilizing um, in terms of mental health is important. Were you going to finish a thought? No, it's exactly that. I mean, I walk off the golf course every single day um, later on in the afternoon, um, hmm. and I, I, I hear something from somebody. If I'm going out and having dinner with friends or meet somebody that doesn't I've never met before for the first time, you tell them what, what I do, you know they're interested. Um, this is things that people use on a daily basis all year round. What about the, the growing movement for, for greener landscape options, shaggier greens? I know that's, that's a 
kind of in the in the <laughs> now. Um, does that have any impact on like training or or anything to, of that nature? Everything has an impact on training. Um, the golf industry specifically, which I can only speak to right now, is a hundred percent trying to go green. Right? Mm -hmm. Ironically, um, as the PGA Tour had a saying, they started uh, brown is good. Um, you know, because they started browning out greens and things like that for tournaments that make millions and millions of dollars for them. As far as the golf courses that I run are concerned, we currently cut our greens at one eighth of an inch. That is unnatural and ridiculous, right? <laughs> um, and that's long. Other golf courses in the area are cutting them way shorter than that. Wow. So um, that's a thing that our parks and our golf courses, we specifically take great care in. Um, we use way less pesticides than other golf courses. And, you know, they have to do their thing, obviously. They're mm -hmm. running a business. But um, we use a lot less water. So does that mean that the overall quality suffers? I'm sure you could say that. But if you look at it in the conservation side of things, the environmental side of things, it's something that we're really, really proud of. I spoke to talking about growing out natural areas on the golf course. Um, one in particular, um, to go down that road again, is – it saves 50 gallons of diesel gas a week to not mow this one particular area. I mean, that is a huge amount of savings. The labor hours, 18 hours of labor that I can go put somewhere else. Um, and that's the kind of thing that both the parks and the golf course, uh, Olmstead Run, are, we're trying to do. I was just going to say about add the part about Olmsted. If this wasn't a Parks Conservancy that was overseeing these co courses, do you think you'd have that that type of focus? I know I'm asking to to speak out of uh, out of turn to a certain extent, but uh, it, like you said, you, you cut to a, an eighth of an inch, and there are lots of other places they cut to considerably uh, closer. So maybe not necessarily a, a focus overall elsewhere. Yeah. So. Um I mean, I'm following the, the rules and guidelines set by multiple different, you know, the EPA, the DEC, every single day. So are the parks. Um, and ultimately the city of Buffalo as well. We're restricted in our use of pesticides highly to just the greens on the golf course, which is, um, for all three golf courses, only four and a half acres out of hundreds and hundreds of acres. That's pretty darn great. Um, the Water Conservancy I mentioned as well. So, you know, as far as Olmstead uh, and those parks, you know, and Jeff, what he has to run into, you know, there are laws around this stuff. And we're trying to do the best that we possibly can and follow those rules and regulations because they're there for a reason. You know, I saw Jeff, though, they kind of nod or, or almost maybe raise an eyebrow when Patrick was talking about how little, they, how little of their acreage actually uh, gets conditioned like that. Well, yeah. It's that's, like you were surprised. Well, I, it's great that the city is, you know, so uh, restrictive on pesticides. I, I, I was surprised to hear that and pleased to hear that. You know, our, our challenge on the river line is with herbicides because we have a lot of invasive species. So, you know, when we tell people that we want to, you know, eradicate these invasive species and the best way to do that is with chemicals, they they say, well, there must be a natural option somewhere. And, you know, a lot of times there's not. So it, it's, it's, it's a really interesting discussion. We, we've been working with uh, other groups on the invasive species, and, and we're going to just let some of them, some of them stay because uh, rather than you know, bring chemicals onto the site, invasive species, they're, they're green. You know, for example, knotweed is a pollinator for uh, bees, so you have to weigh the, the, the pros and the cons with these, uh, 
with these with these plants and and what your overall values are for uh, you know treating the treating the nature is there a particular species that you see and it's like oh I, I need we have to get rid of this yeah there's a couple of them I'm, I'm not an expert on invasive species but I know we've we've already started removing uh, buckthorn from the property that seems to be the one that's the the most harmful um, we have a few other ones that uh, you know I mentioned knotweed you know we've selected particular areas where we'll, we'll remove it um, there's there's uh, you know some particular trees that'll probably be removed um, but yeah, we're going to be looking very carefully at where we remove invasive species and how we do it, and then which ones we just let let go. Live and let live. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll take a, a break right now. We'll come back with more on what's next. We're talking about uh, the Landscape Maintenance Technician Program. It's a, a program put together by BCAT, the Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, and uh, we're getting into a lot of different elements with it here as well. We'll be back with just a little bit more. This is What's Next on WBFO. This is the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of January 29th through February 4th. I'm your host and program director, Tom Barish. Western New York, historically not usually known for its seismic activity, did register an earthquake on January 29, 1864. The rest of these are all February 1st. February 1st, 1878 is the date that the first phone company began operations and registered its first call in Buffalo. Though originally founded in 1960, the Buffalo Bills did not join the NFL until February 1st, 1970. While the Pan Am Exposition happened in Buffalo between May and November of 1901, tickets to the historical event went on sale to the public for the very first time on February 1st, 1901. And February 1st, 1948 is the date that musician James Ambrose Johnson Jr. was born. That musician will later go by the more recognizable name of Rick James. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For Buffalo Toronto Public Media, I'm Tom Barich. It's Reading Rainbow's 40th anniversary, and we're celebrating by releasing 40 full episodes of the classic PBS children's series. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we're back with what's next. Thomas O'Neill White and Jay Moran with you. And we are talking about a landscape maintenance technician training program with Gina Burkhart, president and CEO of Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, Jeff Lebsack, director of the Riverline, and joining us, Ricky. Carney Jr., Buffalo Olmstead Parks Conservancy. You are a supervisor for Delaware Park. Uh, yes, yes, I am. Thanks for joining us. No problem. How you doing? Great, great, great. Tell us about your story. How did you get? How did you get here? Um, okay, so um, my story 
Uh, I was running my own business for um, eight years at the time, and I wanted to get no, more knowledge on, you know, just the chemicals that to use, what not to use, what's pet friendly, was, you know, um, like what plants is uh, to put in what area to, you know, grow properly. Like if it's, you know, if it needs too much, you know, if it's a shade plant or a plant that needs a lot of light, you know, just learning different little small things about that for for my business so I can learn how to bid and not underbid and um, the the proper, uh, how much material I would need for a project. So I went to BCAT to um, extend my knowledge in the landscaping field. And the program was so great, like I ended up with a job out of it. And I wasn't <laughs> expecting it at all. Like, and it's so funny because um, I was talking to my wife and, you know, before the program started. And I'm like, um, you know, at the time it was eight years. I haven't worked a, a nine to five. Um, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, yeah, like uh, I got the, my business down to a science pretty much. Like I can never see myself working for nobody else. Right now. You know, I'm like, I said, I said, if I, I said, if I work for somebody else, it has to, it has to mean something. Like I, I, I will have to wake up every day wanting to go to work. Mm-hmm. And like the the program, like after I got done with the program, um, I did the you know thirty hours in class, and then after the class, we um, we took well for me, I I visited each park in uh, Buffalo. So I went to Cass Park, uh, Delaware Park, uh, Martin Luther King Park, um, for my my thirty hours of on site training. And like once I was done with the program, you know, like somebody came up to me, was like, "How would you feel about you know like working for us?" And I was like, you know, I discussed it. I said, yeah, I'll try it out. And I started at seasonal. Um, a month later, they asked me to be the foreman. Um, three, four months after that, they asked me to be the district supervisor, and it just fell into place, like, just out of nowhere. And it was, like, honestly, like, one of the best decisions that – I've made. And what was the what was the, what was your business in? Um, landscaping and plowing. I, I still I still have my business, but okay, yeah. So you had you had a little bit of a background. Yes, yes, I had a little bit of. Well, I won't say a little. I had a lot of hands-on experience and knowledge with with the business, but not the the books of it. If that you know if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So so BCAT was able to give you these yeah. details that have now helped your business and helped help this new job that you yes. have as well. Yes. Okay. And it was interesting when you were talking about going around to the different parks, because we're only talking within a couple of years, right, that, yeah. when you were doing that. What, what did you see, uh, you know, when you were going around to each park? I, I'm curious because, you know, you know, some of I think most people have one park, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we see this park, go to that park, Delaware. What What did you see when you went to each park and maybe saw what was good and maybe what were the challenges ahead? Well, that's the thing. Like, I think each park, um, each Olmstead Park has its own special, you know, uh, thing that is that is good for like uh, Delaware Park, um, the golf course, Casanova Park, the golf course, and um, like the t- different trails in at Delaware Park, the, over at the Japanese Garden, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King Park. Um, it's it's not like the other parks, far as as big as it is, because it's only I believe forty three acres, and when you deal with Delaware Park, we're in the hundreds of acres. So, but even Martin Luther King Park, it has a special special, but it has a splash pad where you know, like the kids can go go and play, and uh, the the Marcy Casino where they have events at, um, and then also with Martin Luther King, with a lot of people was not familiar with, uh, we have the uh, greenhouse and. They grow the plants for the city of Buffalo. Like we, we take plants and we they Martin Luther King Park, they grow, they grow all the flowers. They bring the flowers for Delaware Park. 
they take flowers to Cass Park. They donate flowers every year. Um, for uh, our gala, they provide all of the, the flowers for, for that. So it's like every park has something very special and unique about it. Did you grow up in the city of Buffalo? Uh, yes. Did you have a favorite park growing up? Um, no, like I... Mostly, I, I was in Delaware Park because, you know, I played basketball, right. uh, ran track, uh, things like that. So I'm, I'm a lot familiar with, um, with Delaware Park. And what's crazy is me being at Martin Luther King Park, like that was my first time really experiencing that park. Like, and, and it's crazy because it's an urban park and like I never, I, I never just, I never experienced it. Like it, I was closer to Delaware Park. So that's where I was at mostly. Got a favorite now? Oh, it's got to be Delaware Park. It's no. Delaware Park. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's maybe bring us back down to a little more general discussion as we as we wind down here. Um, just when it comes to, like, for BCAT, being able to tap into something that a is you know, it's it's finding a, a need in the in the job force, but b as we're kind of getting into here, there's a larger thing here. The more of these professionals that come in with this type of training, the better they are prepared to help the environment, to help the, the community in a larger sense. What are your thoughts about that? So one of the things that we've learned um, in doing the workforce development training at BCAT is that most of the pr persons who come to the program are from the city of Buffalo. Okay. And they're committed to the city of Buffalo and they stay in the city of Buffalo. So we're actually preparing a set of professionals across several different trainings, right, who wanna keep Buffalo as their home, who wanna become productive citizens and give back to the community. And it changes the neighborhoods, right? It changes the community in a very good, special way. So that's our commitment to, to doing this work. And Ricky, is there something you would tell uh, perspective student about this program? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, me personally, I would recommend it to anybody who's uh, looking to start a new career, who's not happy with what they they got going on right now. Um, the the program, and, and just to, you know, to bring it back some, like BCAT, it just doesn't offer the landscaping programs. Like, take the opportunity, it's free. And they don't just give you a job it's a career like at the end of the day like and and it's so hard a lot of people say that it's not work out there but it is and and bcat is trying to provide that and i know gina had mentioned it earlier but talk to me about the uh camaraderie within the classroom oh yeah like it's uh definitely like um even people who you know graduated in my class with me um i keep in contact with them uh, and it's just, you know, you see them out, they come visit the parks. Oh, Rick, hey, you still here? Like, how, how, how's it going? Like, so it's, it's really good. You know, Jeff, uh, maybe uh, just to get a thought from you, because uh, you, you came to the area for the Riverline. You weren't originally from, from Buffalo, correct? Well, I've lived in Buffalo about 25 years okay. now. So you've become quite familiar with uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell me Tell me about the, the I mean, obviously, the Riverline is going to be a great park when it's all said and done. Yes, it is. But what, what, are, what do you see in the parks here in the city of Buffalo? Well, I, I will tell you, before I moved to Buffalo, I uh, came to visit with my family, and we were going to go to the Buffalo Zoo, and we got lost. Hmm and drove around that area of Delaware Park and said, wow, this is really amazing. So when we ended up moving here, we moved near Delaware Park. And um, 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm like Gina said, you know, I, we've, we've fallen in love with Buffalo. This is where we're, we are. This is where we want to, you know, make a contribution to this community. And so in my case, the Riverline, you know, presented that, that challenge and that, that uh, opportunity to do something to, uh, you know, expand the opportunities for recreation and for appreciation of nature and for community building and all these things that we're, the Riverline is, is working towards. When it comes to, to the uh, river line, um, when it's all said and done, and I know that you've got a long way to go before you get it to say all said and done, what's Buffalo going to see? What are they going to have? What's, what, what's, how is it going to be something a little bit different than what we already have? Well, it, it, one thing it's going to do, it's, it's going to connect some of our assets. So, for example, right now, Canal Site has been the, the latest thing, and and work has already started on the um, DL&W train shed next to the arena, so there's a project underway. Uh, the Larkin District has, you know, turned into quite a place. Central Terminal is funded to turn into something special. So, um, you know, the Buffalo River is getting cleaned up, and the river line connects all those things. You know, not directly in the case of Central Terminal, but we, you know, we, we do have connections that will be working to build with those places. So I think that's what we're going to see as a city where just like you have the Olmstead parks and parkways, you know, when Olmstead designed the, the parks, he made all these grand boulevards that are basically parks. And the river line can sort of serve as that type of corridor that connects some of our, our districts and areas. That's what I'm hoping for. How many, when it's all said and done also, how many people are going to be needed to maintain mm-hmm. yeah. Riverline <laughs> since we're talking to prospective employees. <laughs> well, I, I, I really don't know. I, you know, I mentioned the uh, the Highline network, and, and so we're, we're having discussions with our partners okay. there to find out what their operating budgets and how they do it. Um, Ricky mentioned the, uh, the, the greenhouse, and so in Indianapolis, they actually do a similar type greenhouse where they grow all their plants for the Indianapolis Cultural Trail, and they are, then they have a partnership with the city to you know, do that. So depending on what kind of partnerships we form, you know, the river line is right next to Father Conway Park. Mm-hmm. So maybe that becomes something that we help the city with. Or uh, we're right next to Red Jacket Park, so that's a county park. So maybe there's connections we can make to you know, provide extra support for those. And uh, and then the big thing about the Riverline is going to be programming. There'll be events and uh, things that happen along there. So we'll have other people that are not necessarily landscape maintenance technicians, but they will have jobs, that, you know, related to the Riverline. What, what type of events are we talking about? Well, um, if you look at some of the, uh, the places, uh, my favorite one is up in Toronto. There's a project there called the Bent Way, it's underneath the Gardner Expressway. Hmm. So this is one of those infrastructure reuse projects. Think of the, you know, if you've been to Toronto and you think of the Gardner, it's a horrible place, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so the last time I drove into Toronto, I'm th- and they're building all those high-rise apartments there, and the, mm-hmm. it seems like the Gardner is 20 feet from some of the windows. And you're like, why would anybody live in one of these things? Well, if you get off the Gardner and go to those houses, right below there is this magical place it has a separate climate because of the, you know, the, the gardener makes the shade and it changes the wind currents. And so these people walk out of their high rises and, are, and they're in this public space with art and nature 
and in the winter they skate there. So that wow. is, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping to see is that we have this year-round place that is where the public just goes. Well, just, if these winters don't get colder, you're well, going right. skating over there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I haven't been up there to skate yet, but I, I just, it, it's, uh, it's really, you know, a great public space. And, you know, I mentioned how they're all different. You know, also in Toronto is something called the Meadowway, which is uh, a utility line corridor that they're turning into a meadow, like Patrick was talking about. So it's all meadows and it's focused on, you know, restoring pollinators and habitat. And, you know, some neighbors maybe get a little disturbed if they see a fox or something running in the backyard. But, you know, these are things that we, we have to keep our natural systems, you know, healthy. So, so there, there, there's a lot of opportunities that, you know, that you just can't anticipate yet what's going to come from these things. It's, uh, it's exciting to hear that kind of uh, potential for sure. Hey, Ricky, let's talk about Delaware Park then. Okay. What do you, what so far job well done I guess to a certain extent what yeah. what's next for Delaware Park what what do you got going on that uh, you got to get uh, get working uh, on here well, this coming year the next uh, big event that we're um, getting ready for is um, the eclipse um, so oh. uh, we're gonna have um, something going on uh, April eighth at uh, at Delaware Park we're expecting like thousands and thousands of people to show up. Um, a lot of people coming from out of town, driving to Buffalo, and they're going to be at a lot of our parks, so like uh, all of our parks, basically. Uh, we're, we will have uh, designated areas where they can, you know, look at the eclipse and things like that. So we're just really like just now starting to prepare and get ready for that big event. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's stepping out. Do they teach that at BCAT? Wow, that's uh, that's ambitious. So, what about like from a, a physical standpoint, though, with your background uh, in landscaping? I mean, are are there changes that that are are always kind of under, going on at, at Delaware Park? Um, yeah, it's always changes. Um, like right now, we're we're in the winter season right now, so it's it's quiet um, at Delaware Park now. But we still have to keep everything clear for you know our our walkers and visitors, our our animal friends. Like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's there with the owners. Um, but no, like really in the wintertime is, is really quiet right now. Do, do you do a lot of prep work then, um, you know, in, for anticipating the spring and summer months? Oh, oh yeah. Like we, like right now. So I, I have my guys every day, literally like going around the park, looking for uh, turf damage, um, to the grass because, you know, a lot of people like to ride <laughs> through the park and, and things. And so like, that's why, uh, we've been putting up like little board, like barriers to like stop, like, uh, like certain traffic for coming in and out of the parks. Um, but yeah, like just getting prepared for like the spring, like looking for like really just turf damage. Tomorrow is going to be heavy, heavy winds. We're looking at 65 miles an hour. So we're, we're going to be looking for uh, trees that's going to be down throughout the park. Uh, we get a lot of those when, when it's a lot of windstorms. So uh, just like uh, really just preparing just for just just for nature, really. Like <laughs> and so when the spring comes, when that snow melts, we'll see a lot of more turf damage. We have to fill that in, plant more gra- plant more grass, you know, and things like that. You got to really stay stay ahead of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of staying ahead of things, uh, Gina Burkhardt at BCAT. <laughs> What's next for BCAT? We're moving. Whoa. So our um, is this a, is this a uh, an exclusive here? Gina? <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, it is. Good. All right. All right. <laughs> so we're right now on Main Street, and we're moving to 368 Sycamore. So we'll stay on the east side. We've gotten, we're moving from 14,000 square feet to 22,000 square feet, 
And we're going to be able to expand our program so we can offer classes to many more community residents. And the reason we're moving to Sycamore and Mortimer is because we're really committed to the community, right? And it's an area, I think, that we can create a hub for workforce development and really help expand the positivity in that community. So we're excited about that. You know, as you're talking about that, Ricky, how did you hear about the BCAT program? Um, it was really word of mouth. Like one of my uh, one of my friends, he um, he signed up for the class, and he was like, "Rick, uh, I know you got a you know landscaping business. I think you should take it." And I looked I looked into it, went down to uh, BCAT, signed up, and it was you know rest is history, like they say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and for for uh, the Riverline, Jeff. I mean, I know you're in the. There's a lot of moving parts, so to speak, right? When yes. you're when you're planning and moving forward, but the Western New York Land Conservancy is on a nice roll here in terms of its success stories. Uh, what about the River Line? How how do things fall in place moving forward, or or how do you hope them to well, fall in, in place? Well, we're going to be we're going to have a great 2024. We're we're doing uh, the environmental studies. We're also doing a community and social impact study, working with the community to try to quantify and understand some of these. Uh, you know, benefits that we might be able to, to uh, share with the community through the project. And uh, we'll be doing a cultural references study. You know, we're very cognizant of the land, you know, originally being part of the uh, uh, Buffalo Creek Reservation. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're paying, that we're involving our, our uh, indigenous uh, people in, in the project. And We'll be doing a design project for a block of the river line. We have funding to do the actual construction documents for one block. We have a small amount of construction money that will be used for that. So that, that would be what we move into in 2025, would be to get the first block of the river line built. And then we have other grants pending that could you know, make, allow us to do a lot more, but we'll just have to wait and see on those. But we are looking at doing something tangible in 2025 to have a segment built. And when you say a segment, it would be open for the yes. for the public. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's, That's exciting. That, yeah. Well, it's 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 uh, it's you know these these public fund publicly funded projects take a long time to move through the all the requirements, but we're 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 getting closer. So I'm feel good about that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. And I just want to also say, when you're out in the park, say thank you to Ricky <laughs> and to Patrick, because while it's great work, it's really hard work. Is it that hard, Ricky? Oh, it's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> Your final thoughts, though. What, uh, sell, sell the BCAT program to someone who's listening right now. Sell the BCAT program. Easy. Okay, so I, <laughs> I took the BCAT class, and I started as a seasonal. I moved to a foreman. And now I am district supervisor over Delaware Park. Um, very rewarding, uh, very satisfying getting emails and phone calls and walking into the office and people letting you know that, oh, they say that the park looks great. Um, but yes, and also 60 hours, $1,500. You do the math. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. <laughs> and, and, and real quick, how long did it take you um, to, you know, get placed and to become a supervisor uh seven months seven months talk yeah. about upward mobility <laughs> <laughs> our guests today have been uh, gina burkhardt the president and ceo of uh bcat the buffalo center for arts and technology jeff lubzak the director of uh, the river line part of the western new york land conservancy and we also had uh, two members uh, of graduates 
of the program here uh, for uh, um, land maintenance technicians, uh, Patrick McIntyre and Ricky Kearney Jr. Thanks very much for joining us today on What's Next. Thank you. Thanks. This is What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL in Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.